0: Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. ...for us and what he's doing for us, and we just give him praise. Thank you for your Holy Spirit dwelling amongst us while we're here, together, gathered in your name, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Well, um, missed you last Wednesday night, um, and uh, ironically, it wasn't too much warmer in Tampa than it was here when I was down there, so it didn't get much relief. But, um, man, it's certainly a cold one tonight. i glad you made it out. Um, I want to continue. I'm going to be finishing up this month the series we've been teaching on healing. I really felt like the Lord wanted me to teach on this. Just to reestablish faith in us for healing, um, uh, and uh, to just answer some questions potentially. And so tonight, um, I want to. Uh, this will be probably next week will be my last message on on this particular topic, and then we'll jump to a new one. Um, but um, tonight, what I want to um, answer the question of, and what we've really been doing is we've been talking about different questions that can sometimes trip us up when it comes to believing that it's 100% of the time the will of God for us to be healed. And so tonight I want to deal with the, um, the question that a lot of people ask, and it's really this, if, if God, it's not his will um, for anyone to ever be sick, then why does he allow sickness? Um, and so we're going to deal with that question tonight. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 5, though we'll start here. This is our foundational text. And we'll read it and then we're just going to pray one more time and then just ask the Lord to help lead us through this and to give us eyes to see and give me the words to say. And so uh, Isaiah 53 verse 4 and 5 says, surely, speaking of Jesus, uh, I didn't say surely, I said surely, (laughs) surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, helping us tonight as we walk through this this teaching that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us, uh, that you'll give us eyes to see the truth, and you'll give me the words to speak your truth so that when we walk out of here, we're equipped as believers to rise up in the authority you've given us and make our stand for what it is you've promised us. And one of those things is absolutely divine health. And so we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what we see here in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, we've pointed this out every time we've taught on it, (coughs) is that Jesus took stripes upon his back to heal us. And this is in Isaiah uh, this is Isaiah prophesying of Jesus' coming. And he said he would accomplish all of these things, and, 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 and one of which is healing. And that's where we're focusing. Is, and in 1 Peter, we see uh, Peter quoting this verse in Isaiah. And he speaks it. You know, this one is in present tense. With his stripes, we are healed. But in uh, in 1 Peter, when it's quoted, Peter says these words in past tense. He says, with his stripes, we were healed healed. And so uh, what Jesus accomplished on the cross was He accomplished something for us in the past that is currently ours. It's a settled subject that He paid for us to be healed. Now, we don't always walk in that. Sometimes we fall short of that. But Jesus paid the price for us to actually receive it and and walk in it in our lives. And so so, um, in this series, really what we're doing is we're we, and what I've been doing is I've really been just trying to drive the point home. So we spent a lot of time just looking at different scriptures and different examples in the Word of God that showed us that uh, it's always God's will for us to be healed. Um, and then we dealt with just before, uh, you know, I was away last week, but just during, just before Christmas and during that part in December, we dealt with questions Really scriptural questions, um, so different scriptures that people would read that seem to be problematic to the truth that it's the will of God for us to be healed. They almost tend to tend to believe, lead you to believe that God intended for someone to be sick. We answered a lot of those questions, so I'd encourage you to go back and um, and answer those. But this is a more general question that you'll get sometimes from just a logically or a logical thinking person. Um, and you know, I would say most of us in here are logical thinking. People and you can keep your mouth shut if you think the person to your right or left isn't, but um, we're, we're pretty logical folks, right? And so, one of the questions that, that and, and it's you know, how many realize it's good to ask questions? How many realize that? You know, I think sometimes uh, when questions pop up, you know, that really challenge your faith, I think sometimes we run from those or hide from them. Um, and uh, if you run and hide from them, well, you really don't have probably much faith at all in what you believe anyway. And so uh, it's important to, when you have those questions, to just, just to face them head on. And so one of those questions is the question, if sickness isn't God's will, then why does he even allow sickness? And really to answer that question, because we're going to find out that that question is really based on some assumptions that are erroneous assumptions about God, just even, even in the way the question is asked. But for us to understand the answer to that question, we first got to understand, number one, why did God create us? And then secondly, we have to understand <coughs> who has authority on the planet, and when do they have authority on this planet and this life in which we live? And so first question, why did God create us? Because I think it'll lead us to some answers to that question. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3 tells us really simply why God created us. It says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And several places that were drawn is translated uh, to make or develop thee. And so what that scripture tells us is that God has always loved man. And the reason he created hum- humanity was because he, he wanted someone to love uh, he wanted some to express his love to. You know, it's very similar, uh, and we'll see this in a moment. How many of you realize the scripture tells us we were created in God's image? And it's very similar to us and why we desire to uh, reproduce and have kids. You know, I know uh, when I met my wife, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm several years a little bit older than her. Um, and uh, she was relatively young, but, I mean, man, when we got married, she was like, I want to have kids, you know. Uh, She she really wanted to have kids. She wanted someone to love, and she wanted someone to love her, and so the reason God created us was because he loved us. And we can see that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So one of the things to recognize is that when God created us, he created us like him. So there are a lot of similarities, especially to a born-again believer, um, that, that, that you can equate to God, you know, because he'll do that a lot of times. He'll use the love of a mother, to express the love of God, or he'll use the protection of a father to express how he is to us. And very similarly, uh, in the way that we desire to procreate and to have babies and to have our own babies, because we want someone to love, God did the same thing. And then it goes on to say, notice this though, this is important. But God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So whose responsibility was it to subdue the earth was it God's or was it man's right so so he created a being that he loved right and let's just go on and read that he said rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground so he says I want I'm going to create I created this being and then he says I created you but because I wanted to love you because we just saw that in Jeremiah but in, in, in creating you, even though I love you, I recognize that for you to enjoy the best of this life, you're going to have to make some responsible choices, and you're going to have to use the authority that I'm giving you, right? If you think about that, that's no different than when uh, we have children. Um, you know, when we have children, how many of you realize, you know, we're bringing them into a violent world, Right? But we do it anyway. Why? Because we want to love them and we want to care for them. But we recognize that at some point, they're going to be responsible to make good choices. And if they don't make those good choices, guess what? Bad things will happen, right? If they don't take the authority they've been given. And so God brought us into a world that would require us to take authority over it and enjoy it, even though he created us to love us, right? And so God's the exact same way. So if God loves us so much, then why does he allow sickness is really not a valid question. Because let me ask you a question. When you have your kid, I, I, matter of fact, I think about when my kids were li- really little, I had a little more influence and I had a little more authority in their lives, right? But how many of you realize when your kid maybe caught a cold or got, you know, maybe a fever or the flu, uh, how many of you realize you love the kid, right? But did you allow the flu to come upon them? You didn't allow that. It happened as a product of this life. And so, you know, the the question assumes then that God in some way has the capacity to stop sickness from coming into a person's life on his own and of his own authority. But what we're going to see in scripture is, is that he's much like in the same situation we're in with our kids. Although we love them and, and, and our will for them never changes, right? I mean, they're sick. It's still our will for them not to be sick, but they're sick. So why did we allow it? We didn't have control, we didn't have the authority to stop it. Now see, some people would really struggle with that mindset, but what we're going to see is the same is true with God. He loves us and never desires for us to be sick, but his uh, control to allow or disallow sickness is limited in some capacities because of the authority he's given to man. Now some may uh, struggle with that, but we need to look at it to understand that, you know, God, you know, some people, you you ever heard the song, the old, I guess it was the 60s, the song came out. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? You know, and and it became a secular, it was a secular song people would sing, you know, um, you know, sort of like let's all have a Coke and smile and love each each other because he's got the whole world in his hands, right? Um, And the the mindset was that, you know, everything's in his hands, everything's under his control. But what we're going to find to be true as we study through this is that God is only in control of the things that He has that, that people allow Him to be control of in their life? Is, is, is He in control of uh, a murder that goes out and just kills people? Is that the will of God for, him, for that to happen? No, He gives people the right. To choose and until Jesus comes back and redeems this planet, we have to deal with the evil and the things that are on this planet. We see this real clearly in Second Peter chapter three. I think I, I share this one very often. It might be repetitious for some of you, but it's just very clear to me in this verse of scripture that God is not in control of everything. He he, he, he is an all-powerful God, and we're going to see that, right? He has all the power in the world, but he may not be in control of everything. Matter of fact, let's just go back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 and just see that first of all, because there's a difference in power and authority. Everybody say power. Everybody say authority. God is all-powerful. Scripture teaches us that. But there are certain areas where he doesn't, he's restricted in his authority to be able to move. We see this in, in Luke chapter t- 10 and verse 19. We see the contrast between the words power and authority. Notice he says, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So notice what he says. He says, I give you authority. That word authority is the word exousia. And that word exousia means the right to use power, right? So a police officer carries a gun and he has the authority to use that gun. The gun is the power, but the right to use the gun is the authority. And so power could be defined as, when it talks about the power of the enemy, that's his strength, his might, his ability. And so the enemy has strength, he has might, he has ability, he has things he can do in the earth. But what he said, what Jesus said to his followers there was, I'm going to give you authority, the right to be able to use power over the power of the enemy, right? And so, and so there's a big difference. How many of you realize, though, you can have power sometimes and not have the authority to use it. And if you use it when it's not your right to use it, you're a criminal, Right. I mean, you know, think about it it, with this respect. You know, um, Matt's a pretty big guy, right? I'm a pretty big guy, but I'm older and not as strong as Matt is, and he could probably whip me in a cold minute, right? Pretty easy. But if he just decided to run up here and just whip me up and beat me up, have you realized he has no right to do that? He doesn't have the authority to do that. He may have the power to do it, but he doesn't have the authority to do it. And it would make him a criminal if that happened. And so it's important to understand the difference in power and authority. A person that is righteous is a person that uses their power under the authority that allows them to do that. A person that is unrighteous uses their power without the authority to do so. And what we're going to find is is because God is a righteous, holy God. And we're going to find this, to, we're going to see this very clearly. And because he has transferred his authority to, uh, to believers in the earth, and to, but before even believers, it, it, originally you translated Adam when he translated the authority to them, for him to just step in and use his power where he had no authority would make him a criminal. Right? So when we ask the question, if God is not for sickness, then why does he allow it? It's not a matter of him allowing it, because allowing it assumes that he has the right to stop it and we're going to see that there are a lot of things he doesn't have a right to do. Second by his own design. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to uswards. Notice this, not willing that any should perish. So does that clearly tell us that it's the will of God for no one to perish in their sins, right? That's the will of God, right? It says, but that all should come to repentance. Well, if it's the will of God for no one to die in their sins, then why do people die in their sins? Why don't he just, by his own force and his own might, save them all? Because he has not the authority. He's given men, in this situation, the right to choose. And so, just as God created everything, God created everything, and he's all-powerful, but he's limited The use of his authority by the transfer of that authority to others. And we'll see this very clearly. Notice this Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So, who created the heaven and the earth? Not a trick question, right? God, right? So, if he created it, then it's his, right? He he had the authority on the planet. But what we're going to, and we see that in Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's. And all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So who who does the earth belong to? No trick questions. Who does the earth belong to? It belongs to God. But what we're going to find is, is that in Genesis chapter 1, this world that belongs to God, because he is the owner, and he'll always be the owner, he'll always be the creator of it, right? He's transferred the ability and the authority to move and act in this planet. He's going to give that to Adam, and we see it in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now notice this. And let them have dominion. That, what word dominion is, is the word that means the right to reign and have authority. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. What's he saying? I'm going to give them my authority. I'm going to place them in authority over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over everything that creeps. And so creepeth upon the face of the earth. And so Adam was given authority over creeps, right? Uh, and so it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And notice what it says, and subdue it. That word subdue is the word "kabosh." It sounds like something you would really, it, it, it really, the, the Hebrew version of that word sounds like what the real meaning of it is. It means to use your power to bring into subjection, to kabosh it, right, to subdue it. And so he says, subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the face of the earth. So we see here God has authority. He's the owner of the planet, but he said to Adam, look, I'm gonna give you the dominion. I'm going to give you the authority on this planet. And so God relinquished his authority to man on the earth. And we see this clearly stated in Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. It says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And actually that word angels is the word Elohim. If you look it up, it actually means you've made him a little lower than God. And it goes on to say, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have, notice this, you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You has put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the seas, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. So he says, God made man, and he gave him dominion over this planet. Psalm 115 and verse 16 says the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, notice this, but the earth he has given to the children of men. And so man was given authority originally when he created Adam. But we're going to find out here that Adam did something with that authority. Notice that authority came with some rules. It came with here's how you use it, and here's how you don't abuse it. Genesis chapter two and verse fifteen. It says, and the Lord God took man, and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden that thou mayest freely, every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in that day that thou eatest thou shalt surely die. And if you've been here long, you've heard me teach on this before. That that word surely die is actually, it's a repetitious phrase. It actually reads in the Greek, you shall die, die. It it actually reads in in real, I mean not Greek, in Hebrew, it actually reads thou shalt muth, muth. (laughs) That muth, muth, that, that word means die. Or what he's saying there is when you eat this in dying, you will die. So what he was saying is, is when you Make a choice to disobey my commands and disu- and, and not ab- use the authority I've given you correctly. When you do that, in spiritually dying, it will eventually bring physical death to you. And so we see that. So God, God gave him authority with some instructions, but notice what Adam did with it. We know the story. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Well, how many of you realize that's just a direct lie, Right? Jesus just, God just told them, you shall surely die. But he says, no, you won't, Muth. <laughs> Verse 5, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat." You know, a lot of people think that story, you know, she went and got the fruit, she got deceived, she ate it, then she brought him back a fruit basket and said, here, you have some. But he was right there with her when it all happened. It goes on to say in verse 7, and the eyes of them both were opened. At that moment, they died spiritually. They all of a sudden became aware of sin. And it says, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And so at this moment, what God said would happen, the first part of it happened. They died spiritually right? They didn't die physically yet, but we know some, you know, four or five hundred years later, or <laughs> however long Adam lived, he died, right? And so that, that spiritual uh, uh, death brought into the, the earth death that would pass upon all men. And we see that in Romans chapter 5. It says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men For all have sinned. At that moment, Adam sealed the fate of humanity. And we see in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 a greater understanding of what that means. It says, know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. And so when Adam sinned, he submitted himself to the enemy. And the enemy became the one in authority. He obtained the authority over Adam, and he became the authority figure in the earth at that moment. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, so much so that he is called the God of this world system. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds. Well, who is he talking about there? He's talking about the devil. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan became the God of this world. Now, we won't have time to go into it, but you can go back and study this out. How many of you remember when Jesus went into the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil? He was tempted in several different ways, but one of the ways he was tempted is, it says that he took Jesus up into a high place and he said, all of the kingdoms of the world I'll give to you if you'll bow and worship me, right? Well, how many of you realize for that to be a temptation, it had to be a reality that that could happen? Otherwise, it wasn't a temptation, it was just a lie. See, the devil was saying, I've got all this now. I've got the authority here, Jesus, and I'll give it to you. The thing is, and we're going to find this to be true, the devil didn't realize that Jesus had come to earth in a different manner than regular man had come to earth, and it created a situation where he had no authority over Jesus, right? But what we see is is that the devil truly became the God of this world when Adam sinned. And so back to the original question. Why does God allow sickness? God doesn't allow sickness. Sickness is a result of the God of this world attacking people because he has a right to do so, and God is restricted in how much he can intervene. Now, he can intervene, but we'll we'll talk about that in a moment, but the way he intervenes is by us doing the same thing that was really required of Adam before he ever sinned. Use the authority God has given you properly, we're going to take a look at that, but notice... Legally, God had no right to intervene in someone's life at that point to stop sickness or to disallow sickness. And we see in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, the only way that that could come to pass was through the avenue of faith. It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Well, who's the God of this world? So how do you overcome him? It says, whoever is born of God. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our Faith. And so it's through the use of our faith in, in, in promises of God that allow us to overcome and allow God to intervene in our life. So God has authority. He's all powerful. He's, how many of you realize he's much more powerful than the devil, right? And he's waiting in the wings to display his power, but it requires us to have faith in his promises without doubting in the slightest bit that he's willing to intervene in that situation and change it to allow him to come into our life and move and use that power with the, with, without being, you know, an unrighteous person using that power outside of the authority that he's been given. And notice, uh, so, so God uh, inter- so, so what, what that tells us is that through faith in Jesus Christ... We can open our hearts to the various promises he's provided, and he can intervene in our lives. And we see this in Galatians chapter 4, the beginning of how God restored and made a way for that to happen. Notice Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Everybody say, made of a woman. Everybody say, made under the law. So God had to figure out a way to get authority back to man and out of the hands of the enemy. And for him to do that, he had to legally do it, right? He couldn't just swoop in and say, well, no, that ain't right, I'm going to take it from you. That would just be just as illegal as what the enemy does. So he had to figure out a way to legally do that. And how many of you realize he had already figured out the plan? It ain't like he had to sweat it too much. But, but what he did was he, he brought Jesus to, earth, to the earth, very specifically made of a woman. Notice it doesn't say made of a man there, right? And I've said this oftentimes, made of a woman, what that basically means is, is that he was born of a virgin. You know, uh, even medical science, you're, you're a, you're a uh, medical guy, right? Even medical science teaches us that the blood and the DNA, the, the blood type and, uh, of a human being is determined by the Father, Right? And so, one of the reasons that term is so legal is because what it lets us know is that when Jesus came to earth, he did not receive blood from a sin-stained man or human being. He actually came born of a virgin, and he received blood from the very heart of God, right? God created that pure, innocent blood that could be offered as a sacrifice. That's why the blood of Jesus is so powerful, that's why the blood of Jesus is unlike anything that's ever flown through the, the, the veins of any human being. It was a powerful blood. So it says he was made of a woman. So he, first of all, he was born into the earth, not tainted by sin. and then, So the devil had nothing on him, had no authority over him, even though he didn't realize it. That's why the, when, when, when he would walk about in his ministry, the devils would say, what are you doing here? Why, you know, they, they couldn't figure it out, Right? But Jesus, the, 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 the devil had no authority over him because he was made of a woman, born of innocent blood. But it also says made under the law, right? So even though he came as an, in, an innocent, untainted by sin, mankind was still under this law, right, of, of sin and death. So he came under, as a human being, submitted to that law, to fulfill that law. That's why in the scripture it says, he said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book to do thy will, O God. Right? I come to fulfill the scripture instead of to violate it. And so he was made under the law. And so how many of you realize Jesus achieved his mission? First Peter, we read that he, he never sinned. He was never tainted by sin. And so he was, he was a, a man untainted by sin in his blood and untainted by sin in his actions. He fulfilled the law, but he was crucified as a sinner, unjustly. And we see that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. It says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. So God had this, God planned for this to happen and the devil didn't realize he was playing into God's hand. It says, and you, by God's foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death To keep its hold on him Satan crucified him but death could not hold him not just because God is all-powerful but because legally it could not hold him there he was unjustly crucified as a man that had no sin and also was not tainted by sin Prior to the sacrifice of Jesus, when when Satan inspired others to do wicked things to people, how many of you realize they were under his authority? They were sinful men. He had a right to do that. But with Jesus, he had no right nor authority. All of a sudden, he is a spiritual criminal because he violated his authority and crucified a just man. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2 and 7 and 8 it teaches us this. It says, For I determined, Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto his glory. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had Satan realized that in crucifying Jesus, he was crucifying a just man, he never would have done it because he realized in doing so, all of a sudden I violated my authority. Now I'm a criminal and the just God of all the universe has a right to execute justice on my injustice. And so we see that. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, For David speaketh concerning Jesus while he's in hell. Uh, Jesus said these words, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou leave, uh, suffer thy holy one to see corruption. See, as the party's going on in hell, and they're thinking they won, all of a sudden Jesus says, You, you won't leave me here, God, because I don't deserve to be here. I'm, I'm just. I'm righteous. I was crucified unjustly. In verse, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 9, it says, Jesus said after he rose from the dead, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power. Everybody say power. Now that word power is not the word um, for might. That's the word exousia again. It's actually, in some translations, it's better translated as authority. He didn't say all power is given to me. Why? Because all power belongs to God. He's all powerful, right? But it's, he says, All authority is given unto me in heaven, And, and earth. So what happened? Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he stripped the authority from the devil and he took it back. It goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20, when he raised Jesus, when God raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come and hath put all things under his feet. Jesus stripped the authority from the enemy, and now guess what? No longer is the enemy the God of this world in, with that respect, right? Jesus has authority over him. But here's the really good news, and this is what I want, really want to get to tonight. If there's only one point you get, it's this, this is the point I want you to get. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, he put all things under, under his feet, but verse 1 says, and you, everybody say that means me, and you Hath he quickened, speaking to the believers, right? Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. And notice this, here's the, here's the punchline. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus seated in heavenly places with all things under his feet. And he raised us up together and seated us with him in that position of authority as believers. And so now we've been given authority. We've been given authority. see, a lot of people, when they get sick, they're crying out, oh, Jesus, help me, and and Jesus will help you. He will back up his word, but he's given you the authority. So back to the question. If sickness is never the will of God, then why does he allow sickness? He does not allow sickness. Sickness is a result of an evil devil and of people not taking their rightful place of authority. And rising up and understanding what God says about them with respect to divine healing and digging their heels in and saying, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith and I am not going to accept this. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 8. He restored us back to the very place that he put Adam and Eve. The only thing different is, is we live on a planet that's fallen and that won't be redeemed until Jesus returns. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 says, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That same command is yours today. Take authority over the earth. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over everything that that moveth upon the face of the earth. Anything that moves, spiritually, naturally, you have authority over it. Take authority. And so Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 and verse 20 belongs to us today. Behold... I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Is sickness the will of God for us? No. He gave us authority over it. And the reason sickness happens is very clear. Scripture says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. There are far too many people that don't realize they've been given authority over sickness and disease. They've been given a right to use the name of Jesus and rise up as believers and say, just as much as I've been made free from a sinful life, I've been made free from sickness, and I'm going to dig my heels in, and I'm going to resist. I'm going to fight it till my dying day, and I'm going to stand for what Jesus told me I could have. Amen? Amen. And so is sickness the will of God for us? No. No more than it's the will of, no, no more than it's the will of me for my kids to be sick when they get sick. And I have nothing. How many of you realize, when my, especially for my adult kids, My younger kids, I had some influence in their life. Matter of fact, I had authority in their life, and there were times they'd get sick, I'd lay my hands on them, they'd get healed just like that. Now my older kids, 18, especially my my older ones, I mean, they get sick, I'm telling them, you're an adult now, you've heard me for 18 years teach on this, rise up, take authority over it. It's on you at this point, you're an adult, right? And if they're sick, guess what? I'm standing right there saying, come on, rise up. But do I want them sick? No, it's not the will of God. Did I allow them to get sick? No, I didn't allow them to get sick. It just happened. It's life. It's the devil. It's the enemy. And it's up to them to rise up and overcome it. And so we've been given authority to live free from sickness. Next week, I'm going to close this out by talking about how to release your faith for healing, basically. You know, just real simple message on faith and how to do that. And so we're going to talk about that next week. But but the, the point I really wanted to get across tonight was this. I really wanted just to bring back to life in you if you already heard this, and if you haven't, to bring it to life in you. You have authority to stand and resist. It's not God help me, right? It's certainly God help me, but the way God helps us is when we step out in authority, he backs us up with his power. And so you rise up. You know, there have been plenty of times. This week, you know, I sat in my How many realize just you get older, things get in the way sometimes, too? Here's a good story for you. We'll close with this um, i'm sitting at my desk uh monday i'm literally just sitting there and I just i mean I turn like this just like this that's all I do just that and when I turn like that, my back went i mean i, I literally i've never had that kind of pain in my whole life in my whole life. I literally almost passed out. it was so bad uh, I'm walking around. You know, I go to the chiropractor. He's yanking on me on top of me. You'd have been, It's comical probably to look at it. He's yanking on me and all this stuff trying to work my back out. But, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this message. So that was Monday. So Tuesday I woke up and still, I mean, hard to get out of bed. And I, and I said, you know what? <laughs> I've been given authority over this. I take authority over this pain in my back. He took my infirmities. He bore my pains. the scriptures. I take authority over this in the name of Jesus. Got up, walked downstairs, got on the treadmill, walked three miles after the three miles, pain gone. So the point is this. When we rise up and take authority instead of succumb to what life tries to throw upon us, sometimes it happens quick like that. Sometimes you may have to stand your ground for a while. But if you'll stand your ground and take the authority that Jesus has given you, you can walk free from the attacks of the enemy. Amen? Amen. All right, bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much. I've done my best to share your truth tonight, I've done my best to do it in a concise fashion, try to fit it into the time we have without keeping people out too late, especially with this cold, this, with it this cold. Uh, so I just thank you that these truths, spiritual truths, will settle down on the inside of them. It wouldn't just be head knowledge there'll be something that comes alive on the inside of the game something that comes to life maybe that has been dormant for a while and that they'll they'll begin to rise up and use the name of Jesus and take authority over the things in their life that are not your will for them to have whether it be sin whether it be sickness whether it be poverty whether it be lack whether it be no peace that they just rise up and say I'm not taking this anymore I am using my authority to exercise the kingdom of God in my life the righteousness peace and joy and blessing that jesus came to provide i thank you for just helping them do that encouraging them to do that bringing revelation knowledge that inspires faith for them to do that i give you praise and thanks for that father in jesus name amen and amen well god bless you thank you for coming out tonight try to stay warm on your way home and we will see you on sunday Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.